Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Balanced Black Girl. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for joining us again. And if you are a new listener, welcome to the show. So happy to have you. If you have been participating in our 21-day journaling challenge, I hope you are loving it so far. We're getting in the home stretch. As of right now, we have about one week left. And even if you've fallen off, hang in there with me, pick it back up, check your email, see what the prompt is of the day, grab that notebook and get to writing. Journaling is just one of the most impactful forms of self-care that we can do doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it can have such a big impact on how we feel. We've been getting such great feedback from so many of you who are participating in the journaling challenge, and I really, really hope you are enjoying it so far. Also, if you are not a part of the Balanced Black Girl Podcast Community Facebook group, I really, really encourage you to join. I'll make sure that it is linked in the show notes because we have just been having some amazing discussions lately about the new year, talking about our current book club pick, which is Vibrating Higher Daily. It's just such a supportive community. It has grown so much over the past month. So many new members there to connect with. So if you are seeking community, definitely check us out there. Normally, I like to use this time for just a little bit of a catch-up session (laughs) with yours truly, but I actually just also recorded a solo episode that will be coming out very soon kind of updating you on all things Balanced Black Girl behind the scenes, what's going on with me, the move, what's coming up next for Balanced Black Girl. So I don't want to be redundant. You're just going to have to tune into the solo episode coming out soon to get the deets on that because I just really like to spotlight the guests and to make each episode about the guest. And today we have a wonderful guest for you to meet. Today's guest is Sneaky Way Diliweo, a true creative and public speaker who for the last decade has made a home at the intersection of wellness and publishing. In addition to her extensive work in photo and magazine publishing, Sneaky Way is the founder of Naya, which roots people of color in their wellness. Whether making yoga accessible to those who need the practice most or telling the stories of marginalized folks through elevated photo and video, Sneaky Way is dedicated to changing the conversation around what it looks like to feel and be well. Her work and efforts to make the wellness space more equitable can be found in Goop, Elle, Marie Claire, Refinery29, and more. Previous teaching and speaking engagements include Create and Cultivate, Lululemon, Goop League, and so much more. So as you can tell, our missions are so aligned. Sneaky Way and I met at the Create and Cultivate Self-Care Summit last summer, and I have just loved getting to know her, following her work. Naya just launched an incredible yoga teacher training program to make yoga teacher training more accessible to more populations, and I am just so excited to see all that she continues to do. And I know that you will be just as inspired by this conversation with her as I was. So let's jump into the show. Sneaky Way, welcome to the show. I am so, so excited to have you on. For listeners who don't know, this episode has been a long time coming because we met over the summer, I think quite 
a few months ago at Create and Cultivate and started talking about having you come on the show then. So I'm so excited to finally have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be talking to you and I'm glad that we could finally make it happen. Yes, definitely. So I would love to start off by having you share your backstory with the audience for our listeners who are just now meeting you a little bit more about where you're from, what you do, and how your yoga and mindfulness journey began. Sure. So I was born in Zimbabwe and I left there when I was two and a half. And then we've lived in a bunch of different places, but I, starting at age like 11, I grew up in upstate New York. And then I went to school also in upstate New York in Rochester. I went to RIT. I moved to New York City in 2010. And then I kind of started in on practicing yoga probably in 2012, 2013. And that was, I would say that stemmed from having an experience of working in a job that wasn't so great. And then in addition to that, I was training for the New York City Marathon and I got injured. And part of my physical therapy, it was suggested to me to either practice yoga or to do Pilates. And I chose to do yoga. And then I just kept finding myself wanting to do more yoga. So finding ways, whether that be doing an exchange at a studio, working the front desk, and then in exchange, getting free classes, or as time kind of went on, that evolved into me teaching through a nonprofit called Benton Learning. And then in 2017, I did a more formal training. I did a 200-hour yoga teacher training. And then from there, have evolved into teaching adults in addition to teaching youth. And when you had started with Benton Learning, that was when you were teaching the youth. Is that correct? Yeah, so Benton Learning places yoga teachers in New York City public schools Mm -hmm. to teach yoga to populations in public schools. That's wonderful. I'm curious, how did starting your teacher journey in that environment, teaching youth in a public school setting, kind of inform the way you approach teaching today? I would imagine that's probably a pretty different experience than someone who's maybe only experienced yoga in studios and only taught in studios and only had a studio experience. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, one of the biggest ways that it has informed my teaching is that my biggest thing is really access. So Mm -hmm. teaching in a public school means that you can't any Sanskrit words or anything that is can be potentially misconstrued as religious, you're not allowed to do so saying prayer hands. Um, Instead of prayer hands, it was like placing one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly, certain modifications like that. And then also from a physicality standpoint, you're not allowed to touch the student. So that has also, I would say, really impacted me in the way that I don't personally do adjustments really in my classes. I might do one at the end when people are in Shavasana, but generally speaking, if you're taking my class, it's pretty unlikely that I'm going to do any type of adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that that is really wonderful. I'm totally one of those people who I personally am totally fine being adjusted and I'm like, move me, stretch me. However, 
I think that there are probably a lot of people who don't feel that way and who maybe don't feel comfortable with adjustments and also maybe don't even feel comfortable, you know, kind of in a lot of classes where they say, raise your hand if you don't want to be adjusted, even kind of calling attention to themselves in that way. And I think having a practice and a teaching space that does really respect people's personal space and physical bodies is a really great thing to have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also layered for me in that I've had experiences sometimes in class where I definitely want to be adjusted and I'm like, I'll here for it. But then I've had other times where I've expressed to a teacher that I don't really want any type of adjustment. And they're just very fixed on giving adjustments, regardless of, you know, if that's what I need in the moment. And that's been a very frustrating experience. So, you know, it vacillates. Sometimes you show up in a class and you're like, great, like all the things, you know, like I'm, I'm open to receiving whatever this teacher is going to give me. But then there are other times that you show up for a class where you're just like, or at least for me, I'll speak from my experience where I'm just like, I just want to practice right now. And maybe my practice for that day, it doesn't entail, you know, receiving adjustments, or maybe even honestly, yes, you're there to listen, obviously, and practice with the teacher. But maybe in that moment, I just need to be on my mat, right. And so the teacher is kind of almost like a secondary Uh, type of thing. So I think that's something that I am also very conscious of. And just, I guess, I, I don't know, I guess it just goes back to also like reading the room and trying to be in tune with like, what people need. Absolutely. Now I'd love to talk a little bit about Naya, Naya Wellness, which is your company. For those who are maybe not familiar with Naya, can you tell us a bit more about what Naya does or what you do through Naya and how Naya came to be? Sure. So it's actually just Naya. It's okay. not Naya Wellness. People mm-hmm. tend to kind of get that confused. So Naya is the Shona word for healing. And essentially, Naya was born out of a desire to really shift the narrative of what well-being looks like, who is able to access it, what stories are told when it comes to well-being. That is kind of the main thing. And then everything I do I teach yoga and I teach meditation. I don't necessarily think that you have to view your well-being through those specific lenses, but it definitely shows up in in how I show up, I guess you could say. And then, yeah, just my aim is to shift that narrative through education, through experience, and then also through community. So right now... I, at the end of January, will be starting a teacher training that really centers the experience of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. So that is really key for me. And then, you know, in addition to just having the teacher training, centering that experience of those folks, it was also really important to me to make sure that the training was financially accessible. So the training will be $1,200 instead of $3,500. And I'm offering one full scholarship and then one partial scholarship as well. That's wonderful from an accessibility standpoint. I mean, I think that that is an incredible. What 
originally inspired you to create Naya? Yeah, I mean, I think it really just stemmed from I've worked in media, I've worked in the classroom, and I've also worked like directly in yoga studio spaces and just realizing that although these traditions of yoga and meditation, because those are, you know, my specific areas of focus, come from lineages that are people of color are the primary people in these lineages, that the way the practices have been disseminated in Western culture is very much devoid of that. And, you know, and also just seeing that working in media, the stories that are told of people who are wellness influencers or even fitness models or, you know, the stories and who you see repeatedly that are the models for what well-being looks like often aren't black people or other people of color or or if it's someone that's in a differently abled body even the way that their stories are told I don't know I just found it to be very damaging so initially I thought that Naya would be a studio but then the more that I really thought about it and in having personal experiences and not feeling welcome into these spaces, studio spaces specifically. For me, it didn't feel as though just having another studio space that was owned by a Black woman would really shift that narrative. You know, and to like give an example, like my younger sister is always saying to me that she wants to be like more fit before she goes into a studio, which I think is ridiculous, but yeah. also speaks to how things been set up. So I think my desire really was to figure out a way to bring well-being to people in a way that they felt that they could access it. I love that. And I also love that you have been able to evolve in your mission since starting or not really your mission, but kind of how you go about presenting the tools to your community to kind of solve the problem that you're aiming to solve and empowering another generation of teachers to go out and share the tool of yoga in their community. But I can definitely relate to that example with your sister. I know it's something that I have thought before. My past as a personal trainer, I've worked with clients who have thought that same thing thing before, kind of feeling like we need to be at a certain point before we can go into certain wellness spaces because we don't really feel like we can kind of come as we are. It's something that is so relatable and so prevalent. Definitely. And I mean, for me, it shows up in other ways. One thing that I think about a lot is just in terms of like body type. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be considered small, right? Like I'm not plus size or anything but at the same time like I still have big boobs right and that isn't necessarily the stereotypical visual I guess identity of someone that like practices yoga or at least from what I've seen in marketing and so for me it shows up like when I teach I am very cognizant of what I wear so I would never show up to teach a class and just be wearing like a sports bra. Like I generally will have on a tank top or something that's like tied or a t-shirt, you know, like very covered up, if that makes sense. And I don't know that that's always a consideration for teachers that are 
in dominant culture. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually glad that you just mentioned that and just mentioned dominant culture because that's something else that I would love to chat with you about. A big focus of what you do at Naya is around democratizing wellness. And I'd love to hear what does democratizing wellness mean to you and why is it so important to do so? I mean, I think democratizing wellness really just means giving people that aren't white the space to experience these things, right? Like I think obviously I talk a lot about yoga and meditation, but I think it's as simple as being, you know, like we live in America and we live in a system that very much oppresses people who aren't white. And so it can even be like your well-being and like going to the doctor, right? Like and knowing or at least I've experienced definitely experienced like racism in the medical field, mm-hmm. right? Like even that even that is a barrier to one's well-being because if you're going to the doctor and you're not even getting the full care that you can get because of your skin color, that is a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think why I am so hell-bent on democratizing wellness is because I really want people to feel like they have agency in their well-being. Wonderful. I think that that's just, I could not agree more and could not appreciate that more. Also, just in your experiences um, in the wellness spaces that you have been present in, how have you seen white supremacy play a role in those spaces? I mean, I think from the top down, right? So if you look at, especially in a city that I exist in, New York City, and you look at who is largely able to own a studio. So taking into consideration all that plays a part in that. So likely you either have money or you have a system where you can get money to open a space, whether that be doing a friends and family round of funding, or maybe that means you are taking out a loan in a bank, which you're likely more apt to get as a white person, right? In our culture, you're likely going to have the required. And again, this is like, this is my personal opinion, but Mm -hmm. you're likely going to have like a high credit score. Mm -hmm. You're likely going to have someone who can, you know, vouch for you. And not to say that a person of color or a black person doesn't have that, but it's likely going to be a lot easier for you to have that, right? Like, and again, I'll speak from my own experience. Like I'm an immigrant to America, provided my dad has a PhD. My mom also went to college and like I, I went to college and I have two college degrees, right? And that is a privilege that I maintain. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to brass tacks, like if I were to go to the bank to try and take out a loan. I have my student loans, which are a mark against me, which affects my credit. I've worked in a job for four years where I've maintained a certain income and that hasn't grown either, right? So that's also affected my personal, if you want to put it in these terms, net worth, right? Mm -hmm. Which all then plays a part in me being able to go out and like open a physical location. So from just that pure standpoint alone, it's like, well, who is owning these spaces? And then if you're looking at who is owning these spaces, who are they then bringing into these spaces as teachers, right? We all know that 
nepotism exists. So yes, of course, you're going to look to your immediate circle and start there. But then if you like go even broader than that, right? So then if you're taking it to, okay, cool. So now I have the space. I'm like looking to bring teachers in, etc. If you're looking to a standard such as like a 200 hour training, right? That also is calling into question cost. So if you're having a training, not at your studio, but like you're looking for teachers who are certified with this 200 hour training, mm-hmm. which costs stand, the standard cost in a major metropolitan city is $3,500. That again is then a limitation, right? So now you're only then selecting from a certain pool of people that have this credential, which means that they had the money to acquire said credential, which means that, again, that pool of people that you're hiring to work at your studio is also limited, right? So yeah, I mean, I think all of those things play a factor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I really appreciate you sharing that because it's true. I mean, I think by and large, especially with conversations around privilege, I think it's something that gets so misconstrued. But kind of as you stated, it's like, how many barriers do you have to wanting to enter a space? And the less barriers you have, chances are the more privilege you have. And being able to understand and identify what those things are is so important to, I don't even know if trying to equal the playing field is even the right language because I feel like there's just so much that has to be done that's kind of (laughs) outside of our ability to truly do that from a systemic level. But I think even being able to talk about it and identify it is such an important starting point. Yeah, definitely. And another major aspect of your mission at NIA is to help POCs cultivate a personal relationship with wellness. Um, So why is cultivating a personal relationship with wellness so important? I I mean, I think I'm pretty particular about words, Mm -hmm. um, but I love the word wellness just because it's so overutilized. I prefer to say well-being. I think it's important to define like what well-being is to you because for me well-being is having agency and maybe you're someone who is very new to to all of it right like maybe for you well-being is straight up just like having a job where you can consistently pay your bills on time because mm-hmm. for me up until I don't know, probably 2015 when I started the job that I had now, my income fluctuated so much so that it was like, yeah, great. Like one month my rent was on time and then the next month, like it was hella late, you know? So like Mm -hmm. up until that point, well-being for me was really just consistently having money to be able to (laughs) pay bills, Mm -hmm. right? That's well-being. It was like I couldn't even think outside of that because it was so tumultuous. So I think it's really just about figuring out what your relationship is to to well-being. And I think it's also why I don't love the word self-care, because similarly, I think for me, there are times where I'm very consumed in like emails and being on panels and like doing all of those things, which are, are great. And I'm grateful to have the luxury to be able to do all of those things, right? Part of that is self-care, 
right? Because it's like, well, I'm doing those things in order to further my business or to, yeah, or to continue to like build a brand or, Mm -hmm. you know, however you want to say it. But like me taking care of those things is enabling me to like further grow. Or maybe it's not answering emails and like sleeping all day, because that's also what I need. Like that is also self care. So I think that just terminology is super important. But I think that figuring out what your relationship to those things is, mm-hmm. um, can then help you also figure out what it isn't, right. So yeah. it's like, if I know that being able to take care of myself financially, or seeing friends or like, whatever it is, I also know that, okay, when something happens that isn't in alignment with those things that I am able to like say, actually, no, this isn't for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that answer because it is, I think it goes back to kind of checking in with yourself in that moment, understanding what you need in that moment and being able to kind of take care of yourself in a way that suits what your needs are, which doesn't necessarily have to be one thing or look one way. It can kind of flow and evolve over time. Definitely. So for you, I mean, with the work you do with Naya, with yoga and meditation kind of being some of your tools of choice when it comes to not only taking care of yourself, but also how you empower others to take care of themselves. How has your relationship with mindfulness and your mindfulness journey evolved over time? I mean, I think when I started, my practice was really about the physicality. Mm. I was rehabbing an injury. So I was really focused on gaining my physical strength back uh, through the practice of yoga. And then I think, you know, the since I was also using it, but then I found the more that I did the practice, Um, and how it was kind of an escape from my day-to-day job that I didn't really love so much. And then realizing, okay, this is great. And the physical part is great. And I'm, you know, gaining my strength back and all of those things. But then I kept feeling like I wanted more and learning, you know, yeah, I think just practicing with teachers that as much as maybe it was about the physical part, they were also imparting like other knowledge in their teachings. Mm -hmm. And I think it was also just a curiosity for me to be like, well, I know, excuse me, I know that this practice offers this physical nature, but like, what else does it really offer? And I think that was something that I had to seek out for myself. Because again, I think most studios and I'm generalizing, but that's my personal thought is that it's a workout, right? For all intensive purposes, it's a workout. And I think that you have to, I think it's great if that's the entry point. And I think as it was for me, like, I'm so glad that that was the entry point Mm because I feel like if it were more of a spiritual setup to start you know, like, I don't know that I would have stuck with it, to be honest, because yeah. I think it it took me a while to get to that point where I was like, OK, now I, I want more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can so relate to that and had like a very similar 
experience when it comes to my relationship with yoga with definitely starting for more of the physicality and then over time kind of looking forward to some of the other aspects of it in terms of how I felt in my mind, how I felt in my spirit, super relatable. So for someone who may want to begin their yoga journey, they are probably at a point where they are more attracted to the physicality of it, which as we just said is fine, but maybe feels intimidated or feels like studios in their spaces are inaccessible. How do you recommend they get started? I mean, I think that there are a lot of great resources online for Mm -hmm. people. Yoga International has a lot of great teachers. So I think what they do is you can start out, I don't know if it's a month or trial that you can do. And so there's a lot of great teachers on there that I really like. There's a woman, her name is Yoga with Adrian. She has really great practices for beginners that are really easy to follow along with. And they are are she has like a subscription based model but she also puts out a lot of content for free so i would really suggest like that's a way to start i mean for me personally i think there is also an element about being in community with other people and learning in that way which i really thrive from which isn't you know you're not necessarily going to get that by doing a video online I would say if you can go to a class that is specifically for beginners um, I think that's really helpful because I think a lot of studios in order to you know kind of get people into class have open level classes and that can be very intimidating for people and I just know as a teacher like it's hard to it's really hard to teach to someone who has never done yoga before yeah. in an level class and also to teach to the person that has been practicing for five years. So it's like you try and fall somewhere in the middle. But, you know, as a beginner, you really need like that 101, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be like, okay, we're in warrior two. Where is my hand? Where is my foot? And you really need to be in a space where someone is teaching to that need. Yeah, definitely. And those are great resources as well. Make sure we have Yoga International and then Yoga with Adrian linked in the show notes as well so that folks can check those things out if they want to get started. So thank you for those. So I would also love to just chat a little bit more about your experiences working in media and also building your business. I can imagine that's probably not an easy thing to do both of. Have you experienced kind of challenges in that? And how do you still manage to take care of yourself when doing both of those demanding things? Um, I mean, I think the biggest challenge that I'm facing right now is just from a resources standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been very lucky in that I've gotten, you know, Naya's had in the last year a lot of visibility 
which I'm not going to say is luck because I definitely worked really, really hard um, to get Naya in the place it's been in the last year. But I think something that people often take for granted is just that, you know, just because my company has had a lot of visibility that hasn't necessarily translated into an abundance of financial resources. So Mm -hmm. any any teaching gig that I've done where I've been compensated or any speaking gig that I've done that has been compensated, all of that money has directly gone back into Naya in some way, shape or form, whether that's being like keeping the domain up every month and being able to pay for that. Or maybe it's finally taking the resources and paying someone to design a newsletter for me, you know, from a bandwidth capacity, like just pulling my hair out and finally being like, okay, I'm just gonna like take the money and pay someone to do it. Or, you know, even the branding and stuff that I did initially putting money into that because that was really important to me. Yeah, I think that's something that has been a struggle for me. And just knowing also that like, as someone who lives paycheck to paycheck, that's been an interesting kind of dance as well. Part of it too is just hearing more about your experiences. And I know I can relate to a lot of that. And I really appreciated what you said about visibility, not necessarily equating to financial resources, because I think maybe for a lot of people, just feeling like they see things, if they see something on social media or they see something kind of in the news or featured on a website, they may confuse visibility with either resources or with just things that visibility doesn't always cover. And it's something that I know I personally am very familiar with. And I really appreciate you making that distinction. So Sinikue, what does being a balanced Black girl mean to you? I think the biggest thing that I am seeing for myself, you know, I think it's hard to be a person that is not white in America. It's very, very, very difficult. But I think that being a Black woman comes with its own set of unique challenges. You know, we're navigating microaggressions, we're navigating being told that we're angry all the time, but then we're also navigating when we are happy, people don't necessarily want to see us being happy. So I think for me, it's been really important to also know that I can be happy and that isn't going to necessarily be something that people want to see, but that's okay. Mm, I love that so much. I love that so much. I think that there's so much power in our joy being being that we're living in a society that doesn't really want us to have it. I think that that's wonderful. Love that answer. (laughs) So how can our audience keep in touch with you? How can they stay in the know with what's going on with Naya? If folks want to do the yoga teacher training, where can they get more info? Sure. I mean, the best way to stay connected is by signing up for our newsletter, which is available on our website, www.naiawellness.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. And then in terms of the teacher training, all of the details can be found on the website under the events section. And then also by following us on social media 
at Naya, N-A-A-Y-A dot wellness on social media. Perfect. And I will make sure that all of that information is linked in the show notes to make it super easy for everyone to find. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Of course.